Good evening, everybody. So I am no longer in the comfort of my own home. I'm in an even nicer home, which belongs to Olivier and Corinne Merlin. So we're in the southern part of Burgundy. We're in a little village called La Roche-Fineuse in the Maconnais. And it's from here that Olivier is going to talk about the six wines that he has with us for this evening, which you should be able to see on the chat. So please do follow what's going on on the chat and uh, add your own comments in. And if we have questions, I will try to recuperate the questions and respond. So Olivier, um, I, I was going to say welcome, but I can't say welcome to you in your <laughs> own home. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it's great to be with you and to try your wines. So uh, tell, tell, how did you get here? When did you start? Uh, uh, hello, everybody. Uh, uh, we start uh, now, it's uh, quite a long time ago. We start here at La Roche Vineuse in uh, 1987. Uh, we took, uh, we, uh, our parents were not, uh, my wife and me, we start in, in 1987. We, we don't have parents uh, in, in a wine business, wine industry. So we took the succession of um, a vineyard who belonged to a very old family from La Roche Vineuse. Um, they, the, the vineyard was in the same family since uh, 1750. And the last uh, uh, winemaker uh, don't have children, and we took the succession uh, of this guy in 1987. Uh, we start with a very small amount of vineyard. We start with 4.5 hectares of vineyard, mostly Chardonnay, so mostly Macon La Roche Vineuse, a little bit of Macon Rouge, and a little bit of Pinot Noir for Bourgogne Rouge Cuvée. Yes, I remember coming to see you very early on in my importing days, and uh, I think I bought the 1988 vintage, yeah. so I think I bought your very second year. Yes. It was a different label to uh, what we can see today. The labels have gone through a few incarnations. Uh, there are one or two different ones at the moment, depending on where you are in the range. Mm -hmm. But let me think that, so that's uh, 32 vintages, uh, Olivier? Yeah. You don't look like someone who's had <laughs> 32 vintages. No, time is going very fast. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's amazing because uh, I think that's almost yesterday, but... Um, so we, we worked a lot uh, with, my, with my wife because we were only uh, together at the beginning. And uh, slowly and slowly, we increase our vineyard by uh, planting some um, land. And also, we purchased a little bit uh, in 1996. We purchased, we bought some Saint-Véran. And, uh, but at this period, that was very, very difficult for us to buy land because, uh, uh, you know, we were not from the village. So you have to know everybody. Uh, when we uh, know, knew there is some vineyard for sale, that was already sold. Mm. <laughs> so it was very difficult at this period to, to buy some grapes, some, some vineyards. Right? So as you explained, neither you nor Corinne are actually from the Maconnais or from vineyard-owning families. But what's special about Macon compared to the rest of Burgundy? But it's, uh, well, I was born not far from here. I was born in the Charolais area, oh. so it's only 60 kilometers from here. Uh, I love this, this, this area because it's a very charming area. It's very romantic area. And also the soil, the quality of the wine is for me uh, very, very high level. The Maconnais area don't have a big reputation or a fantastic reputation right now, but by the past. Uh, you know, if you speak about uh, between the two world wars, uh, Puyfusé was very, very well known. The, the wine was almost uh, uh, same price than the Cru from uh, Côte d'Or, sometimes higher, a little bit like Beaujolais also, like Moulin Avant, we will have uh, later on, on this uh, tasting. Uh, and for me, that was a perfect area because also 
uh, I don't have a lot of money at the beginning, and uh, <laughs> it was uh, also uh, helping uh, us because you know now starting uh, like a young vigneron in Côte d'Or, uh, you need to have a, a lot of money or to have investors or. So that was very, very good opportunity. Also, I knew the family. I knew a little bit the quality of the wine. And uh, the first time I came here, when I visit the vineyard, I'll, I immediately have the feeling of a good spot, good terroir, and a good place for making uh, some good wines. Because the image of the Maconnet, uh, particularly if it's called Macon Village, is that these are wines which are light and relatively simple, uh, probably made in stainless steel, don't cost much, can be drunk early, but you don't get a loss of excitement. But you haven't made your wines in that way. No. No, because uh, since the beginning, together with my wife, we want to m m make, you know, it's a... Uh, for us, it, it's uh, it's very difficult uh, when you are you you don't have your family in this business. So, uh, starting with the beginning, we want to make very very high level of quality, the best quality as we can. So uh, for that, uh, you know, I don't have my father uh, vigneron uh, who tell me this is uh, the right way, this is not the right way. Uh, and we start by um, just uh, using the very traditional uh, way of uh, of the of uh, the cultiva cultivations vineyard, and also the traditional way of winemaking. So it's very simple. We start again to plow uh, since the beginning. We 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 stop the 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 chemicals the killing weeds these things we use natural manner uh, you know things very you can say that's normal but that's not very uh, at this period that was not uh, normal also since the beginning we want to pick by hands you know the maconnet I don't know the percentage but it's maybe ninety percent picking by machine. Uh, so we want to pick by hand. We want to have the greatest uh, grapes coming to the cellar and after uh, make some long pressing system, uh, you know, don't decant too much and also put the juice in a barrel and waiting for the fermentation, waiting for the malolactic and uh, very simple things, but very traditional. So all the wines we're going to try tonight are the 2018 vintage, and they've all been barrel fermented and barrel aged. Yeah. 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 Shall I pour you yeah. some of your own wine? Voila. So maybe speaking a little bit about the, the vintage. Please. So 18 uh, was again uh, mm. a very good vintage. You know, now uh, the global warming I always say that, but it's not uh, easy to say, but uh, I think right now it's probably a benefit for Burgundy because we don't have any more rot, we don't have any more botrytis, we have always perfect fruit, we have always perfect fruit with good maturation. The biggest problem now with this uh, problem of climate is uh, you can't miss the date of picking. If you start picking a little bit uh, late, it could be a kind of disaster because the Chardonnay, uh, it's uh, when uh, it's easy to have now a good maturation, but the Chardonnay is uh, the maturation can go very, very fast. And if uh, you miss the, the, the window of picking, you can have easy 14, 14 half, 15 uh, uh, percentage alcohol, and that's not very good. So now the big challenge for us and for our children now is uh, the date of, of picking. 
So, so in fact, this is the first vintage uh, in which Olivia and Corinne have been joined by their two children. I think mm -hmm. that's right, mm -hmm. Paul and Theo. Um, and uh, how's that gone? Well, that's gone uh, quite very well uh, right now. Uh, you know, our, our boys, um, our children, so we have two boys, uh, Theo and Paul. Theo is now 28 and Paul is now 25. So they both, they, they, take, took, they took the decision of uh, working in this business uh, quite late. Around 17, uh, they say, okay, we want maybe you start to learn and go to school for learning viticulture and OG. So we say, okay, yeah, no problems. It's a fantastic uh, work. Yeah? It's a fantastic job. So Paul and Theo, they went to a viticulture school of Davaillé here. They were graduate. And uh, Theo decided to continue and he studied at uh, the Haute Ecole de Viticulture and Enology at, at Changin. It's a Swiss school not far from here. And Theo is now engineer and uh, analogist also. And they took some, uh, they start with us in 2017 and they were very lucky. They find some, um, some vineyard to rent, a uh, very, very good spot. Uh, so mostly in Puyfusé and Saint-Véran. So um, for this vintage 2018, you vinified with yes, uh, all the two together? No, 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 two together. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, since that's the first vintage, uh, Theo worked a little bit with me with vintage 2017. We, we worked together with 18. We worked together with 19. And 20, I live much more... Um, um, uh, place to Theo and Theo did a lot in mm. 2020, but you know it's 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 uh, it's it's hard to to leave completely because uh, you know it's. Uh... We don't want you to leave completely, <laughs> not just yet. Uh, not, not having not uh, yet. enjoyed your wines for so many years, yeah. I'm sure I shall enjoy no, Theo I, and Paul's I, as I'm well. Not so old, huh? No. <laughs> So um, this is 2018, which in fact is a vintage in the Maconnais is not quite the same as it is for um, further north in Burgundy. So the yields were not as high in Macon. Uh, the sun was just as sunny, but I think uh, the Merlins had done very well here. This is 13.5 uh, on the label, yeah. which would be about yeah. right. Um, it's got more body than the the sort of straight supermarket Macon would have, uh, and it's also got the oak aging effect. Mm. Plus, you've got something a little bit exotic going on there, which is uh, the type of Chardonnay, maybe. Yeah, we have, uh, uh, by the past, we get, uh, we had, uh, because Vieille this creates a blend of five different spots, very close. And uh, now, seven years ago, we had a parcel with quite a lot of muscat flavors, uh, uh, Chardonnay uh, in this cuvee. But since now, uh, yes, yeah, six, seven years, we don't have this parcel. But in the Maconnais, in the old vines of Macon, you always find a little bit of um, some, uh, some vines. Uh, they are not, uh, it's very difficult to recognize. You have to taste the grapes and uh, you have a little bit of muscat flavors. Now, I think we don't, we, we have much less than by the past. Uh, by the past, we probably had uh, three, four percent of this type of Chardonnay, but now we have okay. much less. Well, we have a tasting note has appeared uh, on the screen here. It's apricots and cream in a summer meadow. So there you uh, apricot, go. Apricot, we have uh, very often uh, apricot, yeah. yes. And also, it's a type of flavor we are we have uh, more and more because of the climate. We have a little bit more sun now, so apricot we have uh, quite a lot. Yes. 
So this is a wine which I think you can absolutely enjoy straight away, Olivier. But I was looking through my cellar before I uh, came down for this evening, and I found I've still got some bottles of the 1992 left, or at least a bottle. And the last one I had was, was really lovely. So uh, for a Macon to last more than 20 years is, is really quite something. We uh, Theo, for his birthday, that was uh, 6th of January, I opened a bottle of uh, this cuvée, mm -hmm. the first one, 1987. Wow. It was still, uh, it's an old wine, but not oxidized, still very good. Mm. And it wasn't uh, a special year? Uh, not no, well. no, that was not a good vintage, uh, no. 87. Huh? Yeah. It was not a good vintage. It would have only one sunny day in the summer of 87, I remember, and that was the day we, when I got married, so uh, we, were, <laughs> we were very fortunate. Lovely. Well, we have six wines in all, as per usual, and there will be the poll at the end when you can decide which are your two favorite wines. And now I'm going to fish out from hidden away behind two uh, Saint-Vérance. Um, one, I think, is a new vineyard for you as part of the, yeah, the new so deal, and the other's uh, one you've had for a while. No, 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 no. No, they're both These new. Two, uh, both oh, they're both new, yeah. okay. No, this, uh, so these vineyards are, we just took this, uh, the, 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 my children took this vineyard uh, uh, starting 2017 after the crop, so it's the first vintage. So maybe first, uh, Les Crèches. So Crèche is uh, in, in the village of Davaillé, so it's a very, very good spot. Also, there is a study right now little bit like Pouilly-Fussé for uh, having some premier cru in Saint-Véran. Uh, the uh, took a little bit more because the uh, Institut National des Appellations d'Origine want to finish the Pouilly-Fussé uh, premier cru before starting uh, another, another uh, work. But these probably will be Premier Cru if we have Premier Cru in Saint-Méran. Okay. So it's very, these two spots are very, very good spots. We haven't prepared any maps for tonight because we thought we'd just do it chatting between us, uh, two old friends in blue shirts, uh, on a red tablecloth. But, um, which it is, in fact, if you think that either my face or Olivier's face is a little bit red, it's actually a reflection off the tablecloth. Um, <laughs> But, so we haven't got any maps, but the village of Davaillé, where this comes from, is uh, right next door to both Vergisson uh, and uh, Solutre, so two of the villages, and indeed also uh, Puy and Fuisse, for that yeah. matter. Yeah. Uh, and there is a story which I have since been told isn't true, but uh, when they created the Appellation of Puy Fuisse, they offered it to Davaillé, they said, you can join, and Davaillé said no. But uh, Frédéric Bourrier, who's uh, studied these things in detail, and indeed his uh, father or grandfather was involved in making the decisions in the first place, tells me it's not true. But there are some great sites in Davaillé. Yeah, it's a, some very good spot. Uh, so uh, the type of soil is a little bit more white than uh, La Roche Vineuse. Some, um, some spots are very, very, uh, with a lot of limestone. And you have the feeling also uh, in, in the wine because uh, you have this type of minerality, saltiness at the end, and uh, very, very fresh. Mm. So, but the problem also with this uh, terroir, Crèche and Cotroti, they, they, we pick uh, very early because uh, the maturation can go very, very fast. And uh, it's very important to be very careful about this because uh, you can have uh, also very high level of uh, alcohol. So that's... Uh, C'est la Cotroti que tu viens de servir. Ah oui, yeah. ah, ça, je, je me suis trompé. Okay. okay, we will. Okay. Sorry, a little interjection yeah. in, um, ah, in French because we served the wrong one first. Oh, so we're going okay. to do the one that you're tasting, those who have yeah. the wines. So crèche has quite a lot of power in the mouth. It's uh, it's very strong and very uh, very long. It's all, it's thirteen point five, the same as the Macon. And this I hadn't seen this before today. This is the latest example of the uh, labeling Chez Merlin. So designed uh, by Paul and Theo. Yes, or, we, we or family want together? to 
to make um, a new thing for the first vintage, and they will have the same. So we have this type of label for all the single vineyards and the future uh, premier cru. So it is richer for sure. The colors are a tiny bit uh, deeper in yellow, but still very bright and fresh. Uh, there's a, a little butteriness from the oak aging, but the oak is working with the fruit rather than taking over from, uh, from the fruit. But it's a, a bird demi-cell, a semi-salted <laughs> butter, because as I think Olivier mentioned, there is a little salty feel to yeah, this yeah. wine at, at the, the finish. end of the mouth. Yeah. Mm. And is that something from this vineyard specifically? Yeah, as a level of, you know, this type of soil, you, you, you know, uh, we have, we use, um, uh, champagne roots, rootstock, you know, because there is so much, uh, calcare and choke. We use uh, 41B in this type of, uh, soil because, uh, the regular, um, Normal uh, rootstock from Burgundy, like 3309 or 161.5, doesn't work there because there's too much uh, choke or limestone. So, mm. and also it's very deep. Uh, the, uh, the slope is very, very high. Mm. Yes. So uh, I think the Macon, by comparison, was just a little bit softer. This, though, it's richer. It has also got a little bit more of a backbone of steel to it, uh, as well as that salty touch to yeah, finish. Very mm. fresh. So this type of wine, a uh, little bit the same for Macon. We we ferment 100% barrel fermented, and uh, uh, the next vintage. So uh, just before the next harvest, we rack the barrel and we go to tanks. We blend the barrels and we go to tanks, stainless steel tanks for five, six months. So I like this technique because the, 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 the wood is much more smooth. You don't have these big uh, uh, flavors of, uh, of barrels. And I prefer this type of uh, élevage, yes. Mm. It's, uh, for me, the, the wine, the harmony of the wine is much, uh, uh, the wood is much more integrated. Mm. Yes. Um, we've probably talked about this before. Uh, at the moment, wood is a little bit out of fashion uh, and the expression of uh, over-oaked wines and so on. Um, to me, it's a problem if the oak is dominating the wine to the extent that it's hiding the fruit. In this case, absolutely not. It is an oakier style of wine, but the fruit and the oak are, are, are sitting side by side very happily. Uh, you know, by the past, we use more new oak. And uh, I changed it a little bit my mind uh, starting the vintage 2003. 2003 was uh, an incredible vintage. Uh, during the summer, we thought the vineyard will die, you know. We had three waves of uh, heat uh, over 40 Celsius, and the vintage was terrible. But finally, uh, we we do the vinification like like usual. And after when the wine was in bottle, I was thinking about, you know, when you you uh, use quite a lot of new oak, uh, you have a type of wine with a little bit more sweetness, with a little bit more fatness. So uh, that was a little bit of shock for me. And uh, after this vintage, I decided to decrease a little bit my level of uh, new wood. At this period, 2003, that was around 25% of new wood in uh, all our best cuvées. And, uh, you know, I think also with the global warming, with now uh, the increasing of uh, level of alcohol, the decreasing of level of acidity, uh, increasing the level of pH, I think the new wood, uh, for me, uh, I think it's a good idea to decrease a little bit. And also, uh, like Jasper said, uh, for me, it's the same. I don't like when I have the feeling of the wood. You know, uh, the wood helps uh, the flavors, help is a, comment dit, un révélateur. Um, it helps to reveal. To reveal, yes. 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 The, the flavors of the Chardonnay, 
but if you have the feeling of the wood direct, it's, for me, it's not, uh, not very good. I like very much when it's very well integrated. Now we will serve the Cote Rôti, wine number three. So it's a Saint-Véran again, but from a different slope, very steep slope. Uh, tell us about Cote Rôti. It's not far from uh, Crèche. So Cote Rôti, it's, it's, it's one of the best spots uh, at Davaillé. It's not very big. Huh? Total, it's around 10, uh, maybe 11 hectares. And uh, Theo and Paul, they rent uh, 1.2 hectares. So it's mm. probably the biggest, I don't know exactly, but it's probably the biggest parcel in one spot. So very, uh, the slope mm. is very deep. And also the characteristic is this type of soil, very, very white. The rock is not far. Nice. So, um, and also it's yes. vieille vigne. It's, uh, you don't have a lot of, um, uh, uh, la... tell us in French. While you're thinking about it, uh, I will uh, talk about the wine. Um, I assume it's had the same élevage, so the same amount of oak, but the oak shows much less in this wine. It's less battery, less of the sweetness. Uh, it is a much, um, you can't say much more austere because it's a ripe vintage from southern Burgundy, but there is a freshness and liveliness and energy in the fruit here. And I see this is my mark to 13 rather than 13.5. Um, but you, you can really feel the limestone. Mm. Um, it's more dynamic. It's yes. more, um, yes, there's more freshness. But that's uh, also because we harvest, uh, I don't remember for 2018, but uh, probably the same day or uh, uh, because the maturity is quite the same. Mm. But at the beginning, Cotroti, when we bottle the wine, so let's say uh, a year ago, uh, 10 months ago, uh, at the beginning, Cotroti was a little bit closed. Closed. Uh, uh, introvert. Tight. Yes, introvert. Yeah. And now yeah. it's a little bit the contrary. Uh, it's uh, revealed very well, very fresh also. But that's, it's uh, very well. that's a fantastic spot. Yes. Mm. And uh, actually, in a way, you're quite lucky to be able to use the name because there was a moment, was the not, when the, uh, the uh, boss it's of still, the... It's still... still, still uh, yes, it's a big problem. Uh, you know, it's really stupid. Yes, uh, I'll just tell the story rapidly. But uh, uh, here in Macon and also in Moray Saint Denis, where there is a premier crew called Cotroti uh, and Chiroud, but they got letters from uh, the chap who was in charge of the local appellation in the Northern Rhone called Cotroti. They were cease and desist letters saying you can't use this name because people will confuse your miserable wine with our special Cotroti. So. Uh, fortunately, I think that gentleman is no longer in post, and uh, I believe that it actually has calmed down a bit. But it's it's, it's ridiculous because uh, this is a site. It's been called Cotroti since uh, Napoleon. At least, since Napoleon. Napoleon Cadastre, exactly. Cadastre, mm -hmm. Napoleon. And what Napoleon says should go. <laughs> Voila. <laughs> no, but that's uh, yeah. We uh, we have you know it's also uh, of course mm. if. Uh, the people of Saint-Véran put Cotroti in a big, you know, with, but you know, you see the label, it's Saint-Véran, big, Cotroti, little, that's white, that's not red. And also, uh, it's, uh, yes, it's a very uh, old uh, Napoleon, cadastre Napoleon, it's the first, uh, the most important thing. And even the worst blind tasters amongst us are not going to yeah. say, ah, oh, I think this is made from the Syrah grape. And <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's a, it's a silly story, and let's hope that it doesn't uh, doesn't go any further. Mm. So Saint Véran, a relatively recent appellation, nineteen seventy three. Anyway, the seventies in around there, um, which uh, surrounds Puy say on, on on two sides, sort of north and south. So it's a little bit strange. It's it's a appellation that's been. Uh, made out of slightly different terroirs, um, but it has the advantage of bringing uh, another name for the wine list. And I'm going to repeat my complaint for all those of you who might be in charge of the wine program in restaurants. 
that uh, you have a good wine list and you have a page or two pages of Chablis and you have one Macon and one Puy Frise and no more. There's so much that's interesting and different within the different parts of uh, the Maconnet that it's time to share a lot more love and uh, try and increase the range. And there are so many different styles. And uh, Olivier is one of the pioneers, but he's by no means the only person who is making wine with the same care and attention as if it were a Cote d'Or white uh, here in the Maconnet. So, uh, sorry, a little a, li a plug for you in your region, <laughs> but... Uh, but certainly there have been a lot of additions to the Morris cellar in uh, the last year or two from this part of the world. Somebody's just criticized me. They know that in these evening Zooms, I'm unlikely to spit out. I've just been criticized even for pouring away. But uh, uh, our pours are a little bit uh, larger than normal as we're doing it from the bottle. Uh, so I shall still pour a bit away and then we will bring on the next two wines. So, Olivier, I remember when you started, you were just uh, a grower and you didn't have uh, a negociant license. And then a little bit later on, you decided to get one so that you could make some Puy Fuisse. Yeah. I think from 1997 was the first vintage yeah. from memory. Yeah, because uh, as I tell you uh, at the beginning, uh, in the 90s, it was quite very hard to find land. Also, we don't have uh, a lot of money for buying, but also, uh, no, that was very hard to, to find. So, 1997, we yeah. decided to, because our um, vineyard was, was small, that was around seven. Uh, France, uh, no, sur la Roche. That was around seven hectares. And we decided, Corinne and me, we decided to purchase a little bit of grapes uh, in Puy Fusay. So we we work uh, with some uh, good vignerons and we choose some good spot. And uh, in fact, uh, that's uh, now uh, we don't buy uh, grapes anymore because our vineyard now with uh, the vineyard of the of the childrens now we have around twenty three hectares. But uh, what one thing is well, is very nice that um, uh, our children rent a parcel at uh, some vigneron. I bought the grapes uh, at this period, and uh, so we make very good. Uh, we had very good relation, and uh, every year I bought the grapes. And uh, so when they go retired, they told uh, they told me uh, if your boys want to take the vineyard, uh, I leave the vineyard to your boys. So it's a very nice story. It's a great story, yeah. and actually, I hear because obviously I go and taste with a number of different people in the region, and uh, I hear a lot of enthusiasm, and people are uh, unless they wanted the vines themselves, they're they're happy with the decision. Yeah. But you know, he, here. It's it's strange because um, the business is not uh, good uh, right well, right now. It's a problem no. with the COVID, but you know uh, it's it's strange because there is not so much young people who want to to do this uh, this work, and there is quite a lot of people uh, getting retired and uh, they have children and they don't want to take the succession because, you know, it's a hard work and uh, also with a lot of problems now with, uh, you know, a lot of paperwork. So um, it's quite strange. Right. You know, when we start here at La Roche Vineuse, uh, in 1987, we were 22 uh, vignerons for uh, approximately the same surface and now we are 13, mm. 13 and I, domains. And I remember you telling me, Olivier, that uh, when you were at sort of wine school at the Lycée Viticole in Davaillé, I think that, what, there were 34 people in your year of whom yeah. 32 wanted to be out there growing the grapes and making the wine and two wanted to be in wine marketing. Mm. And when your son, your elder son, went there, the figures were very different. Uh, completely the opposite. Right. The there were two or three who want to take some vineyard, and uh, the others want to work in, you know, uh, business or analogy lab. Uh, 
Well, analogy is fine, but no, if no, it's but all the, about the, the, the marketing of wine... Yes, but they don't want to grow vineyards. They don't want to grow. Yeah, they don't want to be a vigneron. But you can't make great wine unless you've grown great grapes. Right, no, that's... No, right. Exactly, right. yeah. And they can't all marry Corinne to have a wonderful person out there <laughs> leading the team in the vineyards. Um, so we're now going to move to Puyfuise. Before we do that, Miriam's just asked about the Muscat grape. And I, it's not, uh, not the Muscat grape, sorry, no. the Chardonnay, which has a slight Muscat it's, effect. But it, it's an old, old thing, which is just a hangover. Yeah, uh, 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 some place in Macon have quite a lot. In Clissé, in Clissé you can very often, it's, it's nothing to do with Muscat, huh? it's Chardonnay. It's a Chardonnay grapes, but it's a kind of uh, natural mutation. And uh, this Chardonnay, has, when you eat the, uh, the grape, fresh grape, you have the sensation of muscat. And uh, in Clessé, they have quite a lot, but uh, by, uh, by the, you know, the 19th century, the beginning of 20th century, when they graft, they always took a little bit of this uh, Muscat Chardonnay and uh, for having a small percentage in, uh, in the vineyard. But uh, if you have too much, um, the, the, the flavors of Muscat uh, show too much and uh, for me it's not good. Also, one thing, a year with botrytis, when you have a year like uh, uh, 97, for example, 97 here in, uh, in the Maconnais, we get some uh, real botrytis, a little bit like Sauterne, uh, dry botrytis will make a lot of concentration. Uh, you concentrate uh, also the aroma of uh, Muscat and um, with this vintage 97, it's, it, it's uh, very usual to have this type of uh, flavors. Well, I'll just throw something in there as well, that uh, when I was up in Chablis um, during this last year, tasting the 2019s, so rich, sunny vintage, I found some aromatics, which were this sort of musquet, muscate aromatics. And I talked to one grower, he said, it probably isn't the, the clone musquet that people talk about, but I'm finding it, is what he said, uh, he was finding it in um, Chardonnay vines, which were planted on a particular rootstock, which was the 41B. Oh, really? So now, now, whether or not that uh, carries through, or that was just an observation that he made, which may or may not be correct, I don't know. But uh, I know we always have a few uh, budding MW students listening in, so I hope that's a help. But also, you have some uh, mutation always. Huh? Uh, you know, we, we know about that, huh? because uh, we... <laughs> With the virus, no, we saw natural mutation, but that's in the nature. You have mutation also uh, on, on the vineyard, and you can have some new flavors appears, and people select when they they find these type of things, and they develop. So that was probably the case in the fifties. They they love this type of flavors, and they they select this type of flavors. We just had a question about the glass, the tall upright glass. Uh, so Olivier pulled out his, his best saltos and he took the, uh, the white wine glass and the red burgundy glass with the idea we'd use that uh, for the Moulin Vent. Um, but the comment was about this, this is a reasonably strict glass. And so what I've done is I've just served the, uh, the same wine, the uh, Sur la Roche, in the two glasses, the strict and the, and the wide. And this is something that we do at home, myself and my wife, every evening when we have wine, which is every evening, of course. <laughs> um, we pour them into two different glasses and then see which one is showing better. So what result are we going to get? This one is much more open. Uh, probably it's probably better for a wine like right? Puy I yeah. think it might be the better choice. We don't talk about the Sur la Roche. Sur la we Roche. haven't yet, oui. but we shall do. We shall do. <laughs> Um, because, in fact, both these vineyards um, that we're going to, we are trying, they are both partly Premier Cru for different reasons. So if we start with uh, Sur la Roche, it's a big, big vineyard on the um, slope, the east-facing slope, really, of the Vergisson hillside, which uh, has one of the big crags in the same way that uh, Solitre does. 
but this is the slope down towards the valley of the Sone. And it starts quite high and it goes down to still fairly high. Yeah. So you have a nice, sunny, cool, ventilated position. But uh, when they did the premier cruise, they said you can't have it all as premier crew. At the beginning, yes, they say uh, because at the beginning, the, the, the experts who work on, on this, uh, on this uh, premier crew uh, level, they, they took, uh, mm. of course, the, the premier crew uh, from uh, Côte d'Or. And uh, I don't remember exactly, but they, they say uh, over... Uh, 400, over 400 meters. No, 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 no. That, at the beginning, it was over 300 meters, no premier crew. So that was ridiculous because Vergisson, it's all oh. over. <laughs> so there is no premier crew at Vergisson. So we say, hey, wait a minute, because uh, uh, you are in the Maconnais, the elevation in the Maconnais, if you speak about the, the, the average elevation if you compare to Chassagne, Puligny, or Berceau, uh, the average you are, you are here uh, 50, 80 meters over Chassagne or over Puligny. Uh, the church of uh, Vergisson is uh, uh, around 320, something like yeah. that. So there's a premier crew in Saint Aubin and one in Puligny that go up to nearly 400. Yeah, they're okay. over 380. Yeah. So, so um, uh, we say uh, so because sur La Roche, let's go over 400 meters, and they don't want to go this high. So they they take a little. Uh, that's the smallest part, but uh, the 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 part with, which is on the top of the of the hill, they don't want uh, on the premier crew. So I don't know what is represent in hectare. Uh, I don't know, but that's a big part. And uh, so the limit is, uh, I think, the limit is free uh, three hundred and eighty meters. But this is one of the uh, premier crews that you're going to see a lot of. It's as from the 2020 um, vintage, it's retroactive. The relevant minister didn't sign the papers till the end of November, uh, but they put the teams in place to make sure that uh, uh, the necessary conditions had happened during the vintage to be premier crew. Mm -hmm. Because there are a couple of things which are special about Puy-Fuisse premier crew, which don't exist in any of the other uh, ah, the, the rules, rules. the mm. rules, the rules are yes. They are, uh, so all the vignerons decide some rules. Comment uh, uh, c'est l'agro-environnement? Comment tu peux dire ça? The agro-environment. Yes. Same word. So <laughs> we we want to include. It's probably I don't know all the cahier des charges of all operations, but it's probably the first time. Uh, we have agro-environment uh, rules in, in the appellation premier cru. So the first one is uh, you, it's forbidden to, to use uh, chemicals for weeds. So uh, you have to plow, you have to kill the weeds by mechanics, or you, you don't have the appellation premier cru. So you, ca you can still use chemicals, but you don't produce premier cru. You produce puy-fusé. So I don't know, but I think it's probably the first operation mm. who... Um, and there's also a rule as well, which is new, that when you pull out a vineyard to replant, yeah. you have to leave it without vines for three and three a half, years. Three, three years. years. And that's, uh, that's unique. Uh, and and uh, you, and it, good rule. it's a very good rule, except yeah. you wouldn't leave it much longer yourself. Ah, oh, we do uh, eight years. Yes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Seven, eight, it's depends, but uh, yes. Mm. We, uh, at the beginning, when we use this, I uh, don't know how to say it, La jachère, comment tu dis ça, jachère, il y a un terme en anglais? Uh, yeah, the, um, when it's in. Uh, Jachère is you, when you don't have anything planted, rest, when it's in yeah, the rest period, the fallow, fallow, fallow is the word. Yeah, yeah, fallow. So we use this technique since uh, almost the beginning. But at the beginning, we, we, we did uh, three, four, five years maximum. And we increased to seven, eight years uh, 
Well, it's now 10 years ago. Mm. And it's a very, very good technique. You lose production, of course, because you don't have production uh, during eight years. And after that, you have to wait three years when you plant. Uh, but for the soil, for the transmission, because, you know, uh, it's very, very, very important. For me, it's the most important thing in uh, running uh, a domain. And uh, also you see the effect uh, right away because uh, when you plant a new vineyard, uh, you just plow out uh, a year ago, um, you increase your, your problems of uh, virus, you increase your problem of disease, you increase your problem of uh, degenerescence, you increase all the problems. And so, so you make a short, a better result short term because you have your vines back in production yes, quickly, yes, but, but definitely not so good. And definitely also not so for, good for the long run. And also for the future generation, ah, no. you know, for the young people who start, uh, you know, there is some some place uh, all over Burgundy. Uh, you have that. Uh, it's terrible. The production of the Vieville decline, 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 but it's not normal. Uh, if you, uh, you know, we, we, we have the land, we own the land for a short time. Huh? Yes. <laughs> we, we don't uh, own the land. Uh, it's not possible. The land be belongs to nobody. Yeah? You need to understand that this is, in fact, a 17-generation domain, but it so happens we're with the first generation at the moment. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to think of it as uh, many generations. Right. I want to thank Sid for bringing up the question about the glasses because it's really interesting, the, the two together. And it's a little bit spicier in the small glass, but I'm enormously more enjoying it to drink out of the big glass where you get waves of different flavors coming across the palate. So that's definitely the way to go. Unite them. No, l'inverse. Ah oui, pardon. Actually, we're going to have to move on to the next wine in a second. Uh, also, uh, um, uh, my own old friend, Mr. Hancock, says he's got a magnum of Olivier's 1988 Macron La Roche 1988? In the cellar at, in Churton Street. Do you remember Churton Street? Churton Street. Ah, yes, it's uh, Pimlico. Ah, oui, oui. It's where I used to have my, my business at one oh, point right. in, the, in the 90s. Gosh, there you go. Uh, 88, so, it's a good year vintage, huh? mm. right? So Sur I'm La Roche. I'm not going to throw mine away. I should just park it in the other glass. The characteristic of Sur La Roche is uh, we pick always this, uh, this spot, this premier cru, uh, later. So it's one of the, uh, it's one of uh, vineyards we pick uh, at the end because it's facing east. It's always very fresh and high in altitude. So the maturation uh, go very, very slowly. And that's, that's very important and uh, very good for the quality. Moving to Claude France. Claude France. So this is very exciting. Um, this is a very small vineyard next to the church yeah. in Vergisson, which normally is not Premier Cru, except for two people have it as Premier Cru, because you have the best bit. Isn't that right? <laughs> no, no. The, uh, en France is a little bit bigger than Claude de France. Well, Claude, uh, the cadastre the has en France, de, well, yes. and then the Claude de France but is the, the bit de closest France, to the church. Yes, the yeah. Claude de France is very small. So, uh, yes, we produce Claude de France, and uh, there is on, only uh, one, one other producer. Is, mm. uh, yeah. yeah. Mr. Sommez. No, no, it's no. uh, Lassard. Oh, sorry, Lassard. Mr. Lassard. Lassard. I beg your pardon. His pardon. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very happy to be tasting this. I shall have to concentrate and take notes because I'm going to be talking about this on a Zoom to Norway in two days' time. They want me to talk Donc, about Claude this wine. France, it's a very... Um, well, so it's also high in altitude huh, because all the vineyard in Vergisson uh, is quite mm. high in altitude. Facing east also. But the soil is completely different than Sur La Roche. Here there is uh, some um, lime, limestone, but uh, big blocks of rocks. Um, 
at 20 centimeters from uh, the top of the, the soil, there is some big black, uh, big rock and a lot of um, we call griffé, griffé arcade. Ah, yeah. It's a kind of, uh, uh, say, the... Um, like, uh, fossils. Fossils. Mm. So there is a lot of fossils in this, in this soil and uh, quite a lot of uh, calcare also, but it's a blend also with some uh, limons, silt, silt and uh, chalk and uh, very big blocks of rock. This is fabulous. This right. is lovely. It's got almost a tiny little bit of a smokiness on the nose. Um, what I nowadays call the beneficial reduction, not the ugly smelly kind, but just that we have always, style that gives a little bit of tension to the wine. We have always, when we, uh, when the, the at the end of the fermentation, we have always quite a lot of reduction on this wine. Okay. I don't know why, because uh, we, for example, with the, sur la roche, we do exactly the same, but always. Uh, quite strong reduction, and also with the aging, the reduction start to to uh, be very integrate. If you see me hunching forwards and peering, it's because uh, the way we're working it tonight, I only have a very small screen to see your comments, <laughs> and uh, my eyes are not what they once were. But thank you all for bringing in those comments. A lot of old friends on there. Um, and uh, this has got some particularly good comments that it's uh, heading towards uh, a favorite there. Um, uh, and also somebody has asked, Peter has asked, uh, how many of your wines, your Prefrisse wines, will be Premier Cru? So uh, we have uh, three, um, we have around four hectares of regular Prefrisse and 1.7 hectares of Premier Cru. Which will be how many different bottlings? Uh, four. 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 Okay. So the two we have tonight. Yes. And, and plus Les Chevrières, mm -hmm. so which is uh, Chantre uh, Village, and uh, Au Vigneret, okay. which is uh, Solutré. Uh, and also we have the Chateau d'Écart, Claude d'Écart with uh, Dominique. Yes, somebody mentioned earlier on the chat uh, Dominique Lafont, yeah. but also Olivier with Dominique. They have taken possession of, uh, I was going to say, an ancient and crumbling chateau, but in fact, it's a 19th century or 20th century. No, well, 19th century. Napoleon aussi. Napoleon, it's <laughs> a 19th century. 1870, somewhere, 1860. But it's still a crumbling chateau. But it has this wonderful vineyard, uh, the Claude Car with vines planted mostly in 1917. Mm. But that's a separate um, uh, property uh, called the Chateau mm. des Cars. Um, but I'm really enjoying this wine. I like that. That level of reduction is great. It's not exaggerated. Mm. We know there are one or two people who've taken the positive reduction a little bit, yeah, maybe too you know, far. The reduction uh, when it's like uh, matches, you know, I, I don't like very much, but uh, I like reduction when it's very well integrated. There's a saying in French, which we don't really use in English, but uh, il faut pas exagérer non plus. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Even say you shouldn't exaggerate. And that's how I feel. Um, mm. And it's got a tiny bit of these saline right? salinity uh, yeah, yeah. as well at the finish, but lots of different fruit coming across uh, the palate. That's good news. And I haven't felt with any of these wines uh, the feeling which we occasionally are getting um, uh, elsewhere in 2018 and maybe more 2019 in the whites, a feeling that the sunshine has got to the grapes a little bit too far. I don't think they've been, uh, no. out, the grapes have not been out sunbathing and, no, uh, no, 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 and they haven't caught no. too much of a tan. And also we changed a little bit our way of um, cultivation. So now... Uh, we we talk with uh, my children to to live a little bit more. You know, in Burgundy, when you come to Burgundy in uh, in August, you see the vineyard very well cut. It uh, you know, but I think now we have to change a little bit our techniques of uh, cutting and probably leave more leaves leave more vegetation because uh, of the sun. The sun now is much more aggressive. 
Yes. And uh, especially if you have, well, we don't have a lot of exposure, West exposure, but the West exposure at the end of the day, you have some, some, uh, some sun who burns uh, the grapes. And uh, if uh, you change a little bit your technique of uh, cutting, uh, you can uh, preserve your grapes and uh, leave a little bit more your grapes on, on the shade. Huh? It's, it's much better. You know, now, uh, 20 years ago, we, we open everything we cut because we, we are, uh, uh, we, we work against the botrytis, you know, always. Mm -hmm. But now it's uh, it's much the climate is much more dry, and now it's the contrary. We have to preserve uh, the grapes for the sun. You know, for example, I produce a little bit of Pinot Noir. Uh, we used to um, to uh, use the technique of effeuillage, um, deleafing. Deleafing. So uh, we use deleafing techniques uh, for 20 years and uh, starting uh, vintage uh, right, 10 years ago, around 2010, we decided to stop deleafing because uh, the sun is much more aggressive now. And also we don't have any more botrytis. Well, just before we leave the Puy-Frises, Sid has asked, uh, is, what's the uh, yield, maximum yield for Puy-Frises? The, the maximum uh, for the Premier Cru is 56 hectolitres. 56, okay. Yes. So, and, and if your village is, is 60 or, or 58? Village is 60. 60, okay. Yes. Mm. But um, Chardonnay, those are comfortable yields. I have no difficulty with those yields. It's more of a uh, question nowadays as to whether or not you can actually achieve those yields. Uh, and in any case, uh, the way you work the vineyards, what do you, yeah. what's normal for you? What would be your five or ten year average? The, 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 the normal uh, yield in your white wine. Oh, for me, if you are between forty and fifty, is perfect. It's perfect. Huh? Yeah. Mm. Good. Well, uh, some vintage you can mm. produce more. Some vintage it's better to have a little bit less. But yes. that's uh, yes, that's good. You want to? <laughs> I was going to say, may you never have less. But, uh, <laughs> So that was a socially distant uh, clink of glass. We've uh, we're bang, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bang the rules. We have to be careful. Uh, time moves on. Um, I haven't left us very long, so we were overrun by just a few minutes. Um, but it's time. Oh, don't throw it away. It's too good, that one. Uh, I'm going to put it into my other glass. And Olivier has actually a rather beautiful uh, Pinot Noir, a Bourgogne. He has a, do you still make the basic Bourgogne Rouge? And then yes. you have, mm -hmm. then there is one from his Croix vineyard that we haven't seen in either color tonight. Uh, but the Bourgogne Rouge Les Croix, I like very much indeed. It's from Pinot cuttings that came from uh, the Claude Zeppino vineyard and in Pomar. Uh, and then he has uh, a basic um, Moulin Vent and a special Moulin Vent, which is from the vineyard called La Rochelle. So over to you to so, discuss it. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we bought, we have very good opportunity to, to buy to bought a very nice vineyard in 2006, which is uh, La Rochelle and few spots at uh, Leveria, La Roche, uh, Léante and uh, Libras. And uh, so La Rochelle is one hectare of uh, Gamay, very old Gamay, planted in 1937, mostly. And uh, very, very high density. It's uh, This vineyard is 13 plants per hectare, 30 vines per hectare. So it's very, very dense. Uh, since the beginning, since uh, 2006, we plow by horse. So uh, that's not me who do that, but we have a guy who will come with his two horse and do the work. But uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic spot, very late. Uh, high also in a, it's a, uh, it's probably 50 meter, 100 meter over the Moulin Avant. So it's quite late situation. It's uh, at the same level of, uh, uh, it's a little bit under the level of Roche Grey, but that's a very good spot. Sands, granite, pure granite. No organic things, no uh, clay, nothing. Very, very poor soil. 
we should have decanted it though because yes, yes, it's yeah. uh, it's so young it's got um initially there was a little bit of a of a slightly brutal reduction which is blowing off now now we're getting the red fruits the cherries and, and raspberries are coming out um as well uh, a lot of spice which you'd expect from a young moulin vent um i'm for me this is the one appellation on the beaujolais that you should really keep for a long time yeah. uh so uh, uh, no a, hurry at all. The, the, the characteristic of this wine is, well, Gamay, it's, um, it's a reductive grape. So mm. There is a lot of things in common with Syrah. And, um, is it the grape that's reductive, though? Or is it the fact that these are two uh, wines that you grow on acid soil? Well, and it's the soil that ah, makes it reductive. Maybe, but, uh, you know, you always produce wine. The, the, the gamay from uh, all the cru of Beaujolais are very sensitive to reduction. If, for example... Hmm. But that, they're, they're almost all on acid soil. Yeah, yes. Hmm. But, you know, for example, if you um, uh, age in stainless steel, hmm. is worse worse the, the the reduction increase a lot so that's why also there is a tradition in beaujolais to have big vats big cask of wood because uh, you you have a very very slow oxidation mm. i'm i'm now i'm enjoying the bouquet yeah. a lot uh, but uh, it's it a just... mix of uh, spice paper uh yeah. you know uh, like we use uh, I like the red dark pepper from Vietnam, you know, you can have some uh, flavors like that. And also you have uh, uh, some uh, typical from grammar. I never remember the name of this uh, flower, c'est la pivoine. A peony. 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 You have uh, always this type of mm. uh, very intense uh, flavor of, uh, of flower. Well, while that develops in the glass, um, important question, uh, where does your shirt come from, Olivier? The shirt? Your shirt. Chemise. From the Switzerland. From Switzerland, okay. Oh, uh, you mean that was from... <laughs> that, that, that's the question. Mine, in fact, comes from Hong Kong. They're not the same at all. Mine is in herringbone, and Olivier's is in little squares. <laughs> so uh, I agree that what I can see on the screen doesn't really show that they're different, but they are just in the same way that all the wines are different. So it's, uh, there you go. It's from Hong Kong, no? Uh, Your shirt. No, Hong Kong? Yes, yes, it's, it's yes, a, yes. Uh, Roger. Roger. Oui, exactement. <laughs> uh, Olivier, when he comes to London, he buys his shoes in London and he buys his tea in London. Yes. Uh, so uh, that's two businesses which will be really suffering in the current lockdown because Olivier uh, can't get there to spend his money. No, 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 no. I, I, I order. Huh? Oh, you still do? Right. Postcard, yes. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I still order postcard. Right. So, um, uh, please keep any last questions coming through on the chat and I will endeavor to, to see them. But also, um, Sophie, you're waiting very, very patiently behind the scenes. But uh, as usual, we will have our poll uh, in which we invite you to vote on two out of these six wines. Um, they don't have to be your two absolute bestest, bestest because clearly we have gone up the scale from less expensive to more expensive. So just choose the two which particularly uh, interested you, uh, you were excited by in today's tasting. Uh, Olivier and I are sharing a screen, but since they're his vines, he can't vote, but I'm going to vote. Unless he says, no, don't vote for that one. <laughs> there we are. I got a vote in French as well, so I hope I pressed the right buttons. Um, hmm. We just had a question on what are the other agro-environment rules, but I think that's going to be too complicated, so I think we'll leave that for another time. Someone's also asked, which of your wines, particularly thinking about the 2019s, would you recommend for longer aging? But Sophie's put up the answers, and one, two, three, I can see all six wines, and we've got a nice bit of voting throughout. Um, so, uh, two clear winners, but uh, everything's got a vote. That's really good to see. And the two winners, well, I'm embarrassed now because uh, the two I voted for, but I thought between the two Saint-Vérons, I was more excited by the uh, Cotretti yeah. today. And I really like Sur la Roche every year, but the Clos de France spoke to me with more individuality. 
And as it happens, those are the two wines which are labeled at 13%. All the others have been 13.5. There's a moral in that somewhere. Oh, the Moulin Vent was also 13%. And I'm pleased to see that that got some votes as well, uh, but not enough to, to challenge the leaderboard. So just to finish then, 2019, which of your wines would you think are the long-lasting wines? The, Remembering that all Olivier's uh, wines will last pretty well. Probably uh, 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 for Chardonnay, you mean? Huh? Uh, well, the Moulin Vent will certainly uh, last a very long time. The but Moulin yes. Moulin Vent uh, 19 is fantastic. Huh? We had a very, very small crop, but uh, the Moulin Vent Rochelle is uh, fantastic. And uh, for the Chardonnay, probably, uh, probably sur La Roche, if you say, is uh, one of our best. Uh, and, w and what about my favorite wine in your yes, lineup, which we didn't France, taste tonight? Good, good, no, but, no, no, but we didn't taste tonight. Uh, the Macon, La Roche Vineuse, L'Ecra. Ah, L'Ecra, yes. L'Ecra is also, yes. Very, mm. But L'Ecra, it's, um, it's a wine also, it's a little bit, uh, quite a lot of things in common with uh, uh, Claude France. It's a kind of wine, um, a little bit unique. It's, uh, it's very special. You have uh, some people completely passed away, but it's, uh, yes, and some uh, love uh, very much. And for me, it's, uh, it's, it's one, it's my baby. Yeah, it's, it, uh, it's my wine too, <laughs> as you know. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much uh, for joining. Um, this has been a real pleasure for me. It's the first time I've done it side by side with a vigneron. I've done interviews at the other end of the camera. Uh, but it's been a real privilege to be here with Olivier. It's been great to see you all, and thank you so much for your questions. I should be back in February with uh, several different events. We're looking at uh, one based around Pomar, which is another appellation that's coming into, into its own at the moment, uh, and one on the uh, premier cruise of uh, Chassain-Maracher. And then I think we're going to take a little look at Geoffrey Chambertin Castier. So those are events for you to look forward to. Spread the word so we get more people listening in and spread the word for the joys of Olivier and Corinne's wines. Yes. And indeed, Theo and Paul. Yeah. So well, a real thank pleasure. Thank you. Real pleasure. Uh, bonne année and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye, -bye.